Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Part of why I picked this series when I was going through, I, um, I, I kind of have all sorts of things I think through when I'm picking a series. I try and kind of do New Testament series and then an Old Testament series and have some balance. And, and my last series was on this theme called The Powerful and the Powerless. And one of my key points was that Jesus is often found among those who are powerless, who look like they are on the losing team. And he, he reveals where true power really resides and what true victory really looks like in, in humility, in love, and self-sacrifice, and being among the people who are, who are not usually at the forefront. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say this before, but I hear more and more people today talking and enjoying to talk about how it just seems like our world is getting worse and worse. Have you ever heard anyone say that before? Um, that's something that I hear people say quite a bit. And it seems like uh, in our hearts and our minds that we see the shadows of this world growing taller and taller and the lights growing dimmer and dimmer. And I believe that Daniel is a great intersection of those two things. Daniel is a story about marginalized exiles who are in this powerful kingdom the powerless among the powerful. And I also think that Daniel's an awesome place to talk about this idea of when it looks like we're surrounded, when it looks like the shadows and, and we're around a culture and an environment that is unsympathetic and, and even opposed to God, what does that look like to live as those people? Because that's what Daniel is about. Daniel is both for those who feel like they are in the midst of surrounded by powerful opposing forces and for people who are saying, is it ever going to get better? Is it, it just seems to be getting worse. So today, I would like to attempt to wrap up this series with a conclusion that hopefully answers the question, how is the book of Daniel applicable and good news for me today in my life? Well, I, I preached the sermon, or I mean, I had a class couple, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, talking about all the, some of the visions in Daniel, and Floyd asked the right question. He said, Drew, what does it all matter? And I said, that's the right answer to, to ask. And what's tricky is when we read Daniel, all the vision stuff seems like it just doesn't apply at all. But my hope is, is at the end of this sermon, I'll be able to show you that from Daniel 1 through 12, there's so many things that are good news for you in your life right now. Starting with the, the one of the lower, I'm, I kind of am going to do a medium-sized point, and then the big point, and then uh, another big point. But the middle one's the, the, the best part of the sandwich. So answer one, why is this good news in your life? God humbles the proud. This is both good news and a warning. Throughout Daniel, we see stories of people making themselves like gods and God bringing them down. We see this with Nebuchadnezzar. We see this with Belshazzar. We see this with, uh, yeah, those are the two main ones. And we see, so in Daniel 5, 22, it's a good example. Um, he's talking to Belshazzar. He says, But you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. This person thinks that he is the one that's God. He's in charge, and God is going to humble him. In Daniel eleven thirty six, we have this, if you want to get into some some weird visions that people really love to read about this one who's going to come. We call him all sorts of names, the abomination of desolation, all these things. This king that's going to come. It says this king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. And in with Nebuchadnezzar, when he's overlooking his 
empire. He literally says, like, man, look at all that I've done. And that's immediately when God makes him like an animal in the field. His fingernails get really long. His hair gets really long, like a, like a beast. And so we see this theme. And throughout Scripture, we see God's people are often persecuted, held down, and oppressed by proud and par- powerful fe- people. You see Pharaoh. Yeah, I'm in charge of you Israelites. And we see Moses has come to tell God, actually, I'm going to, or tell Pharaoh, I'm actually going to reveal to you, you're really not in charge. You worship the sun god, Ra, and you believe he's all-powerful and gives you light. Well, guess what? I'm going to make it dark for a day because I'm in charge. And so we see people are often being persecuted, held down by the proud and powerful people who make themselves like gods. And if you find yourself in a place where you, in your life right now, feel like there are powers at be that are holding you down, Daniel is good news for you because the proud will be humbled. If you are like me and you do not necessarily feel this overwhelming, overbearing sense, then we need to be careful. Me and you. I'm saying this about myself. Because we might be one of the people who is proud. And I might be one of the people that needs to be humbled every once in a while. If I find myself ever thinking, well, I'm the reason why I'm successful. You didn't get a lot of scholarship money because you're not as smart as me. You didn't write as good of essays as me. You didn't do all the stuff I did. You don't have a successful business because you didn't work the hours that I worked. You didn't put in the blood, sweat, and tears that I put in. The reason why your life is in shambles is because I'm not running your life. If you ever find yourself saying that, you might be like me. And you might be the proud one. You might be saying to yourself, I'm the reason for my success. I'm the master of my fate. And we have to be careful because Daniel is a warning to us that we will be humbled. So I said it's good news and there's a little warning on the side. Um, Answer number two, the big one, the big good news about all this. I tried to reinforce this through every single lesson because we can do all we want trying to have all sorts of fun takeaways from Daniel, but the big takeaway is that God is in charge and his kingdom is the one that will endure. In every story, in every lesson throughout, the thing that you're supposed to see over and over is that Yahweh is king, Yahweh is Lord, God is in charge, His kingdom is the one that's going to last. In Daniel 4, 34-35, at the end of that time, after Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. So what is the thing that takes this? He was proud, he's been humbled, and the thing that brings him back to an elevated place is his recognition that God is actually the one that's in charge of all this. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He's not saying God doesn't think you're important. He's just saying we're just ants compared to what God is in control of. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? What have you accomplished? No one can say that to him. Um, as a, uh, I hope this analogy works. I, I was smiling thinking of this last night. As a minister's kid, I grew up with this. And many of you probably grew up with this same situation because many of you probably did grow up going to church in the morning and then church at 6 p.m. that night to do it all over again. But one of the things I learned is that I am never going to see all of a Dallas Cowboys game live. As a minister's kid, you just knew. You were either going to not see the first quarter because you were going, you know, you were at El Toro or, you know, Las Mañanitas or something. Or you knew that you were going to miss the 3 p.m. game because you had to leave for 6 o'clock church, right? 
or you were maybe going to get back in time for the 7 o'clock game, except for Monday night. I guess you could see the Monday night game. But now, before I became an old man this past week, I used to go, <laughs> I used to go far out of my way to, and especially when I first started. Like, as a college guy, it was easier for me to do this. But then, once I became a youth minister, I would go so far out of my way to try and not figure out what happened in the game. I would give Catherine my phone, because I'd have all sorts of people being like, dude, can you believe he threw that? Or, uh, what a great play. So I'd just give Catherine my phone, and she'd respond like, hey, he's at work, where are you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, he, I'd give Catherine my phone, and I would try my best not to find out, but you know, at least 65% of the time, some youth group kid would come up to me and be like, sorry, Drew. And I'd be like, ugh. Or they'd come up and be like, hey, that was great, huh? And I'm like, ugh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. But what would happen inevitably is, and, and I have a, I remember vividly, I, I think Steve Countryman would enjoy this story as a, a terrible Packers fan, but he, uh, I remember sitting in an elders meeting, Sunday, 2014, sitting there, and one of my coworkers, her husband, was a big Packers fan. And I remember we're in this meeting, and it's, the, it's like the round before the NFC Championship, um, and it's the famous Dez Caught It play, if you're familiar with it. And I remember I'm just sitting there, don't know a thing about it, and she goes, oh, thank goodness the Packers won. And I was despondent the rest of the meeting. I was just so sad because two things had been taken from me. One, we lost, most importantly. But two, I didn't even get to watch the game. Like, I'm not going to sit down and do that to myself, you know? I'm not going to sit down and watch a recording knowing that we're going to lose the whole time. You, you with me? Like, that would be like masochism. You know, that would be something where I enjoy pain if I were to sit down and do that. But on the rare occasions where a kid spoiled it and I did win the game, I often found myself where I would come back and I would watch it, but I would watch it completely differently than I would have before. I don't know how many of you are very elaborate football watchers. I'd kind of like to see Ryan Hunt watch a football game because I feel like he's so chill. Maybe every once in a while I could see him get worked up about something. But uh, my dad is the worst about getting worked up at football games. But I'm, I'm very animated. I'm on my hands and knees. I'm, I'm running around. I'm shouting. But when I, know that we, when I know that we won the game, I'm just chilling. I'm just relaxing, sitting back, being like, like oh, cool, that was a good play. If they throw a flag on us, normally I'd be like, what? That wasn't holding? And of course, every time it's the other team's like, that was a great call, ref. That was amazing, right? I'm, I'm just in agony the whole time. I'm stressing. My heartbeat is going up and down. I'm, I'm, I'm in shambles, stressed. And yet, when I know the outcome, I usually find myself being like very relaxed and very, hey, this is pretty pretty fun. I'm enjoying myself. And sometimes there's even games where I'm watching and it's late in the game and I'm like, how do we win this game? You know, did they trick me? You know, that would be, that'd be a shame. But I can be like, how does this, you know, how does this actually turn out to a win? It's like, it's like 50 to nothing. It's, or man, this must be crazy. How do we get through this? And so I'm using that analogy to tell you that over and over, there's a pattern established with these visions in Daniel, with these scenes in Daniel, where you may be living your life, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like you're losing the game. And not just that, you're losing big. You see Babylon is in charge. You see Nebuchadnezzar doing what he wants. You see these kingdoms, these people where you're in exile. You've been taken from your homeland. You're here. It looks like for all the world that the empires of this world 
that are going to come over and over again, the ones of gold, silver, and bronze, the ones of the, the lion, the bear, the leopard. These are all images in Daniel of these empires that will keep coming and keep being powerful and ferocious and do harm to us and to God's people. It looks for all intensive purposes that there's no way God is in control. And for any of you sitting here who, are, who has said out of your mouth, the world just seems to look like it's getting worse and worse and worse. What you are saying, for all intents and purposes, is it just looks like we don't win this thing. It just doesn't look like we're going to ever come out on top. Most of the visions in Daniel describe this. They all seem terrible. Everything all seems to be getting worse. And yet, with every vision, there is this moment where something and someone comes that will break that chain. Okay? We'll, we'll end that process. And the message is, while it may not look like it, our God is the one that's in control. Okay? Our God is the one where at the end of this, the kingdom that will endure is God's kingdom. The overarching theme of Daniel, Daniel is to remind its readers and to remind us today that the good news is, I know it may seem like we're going to lose this thing, but I'm telling you, our God is in control on the throne and his kingdom will endure. So the question is, how are we going to live knowing that God wins? Because when I'm watching the game and I don't know who wins, I watch differently. But if you told me I know who wins, I watch differently. Okay? The same should be true of the way that we live our lives. And we see this in the way Daniel and his friends live their lives. When Daniel's friends are told, you have to give up your heritage of, and fear of God, the laws that you have, and eat these foods, they know that God wins. And so they say, I'm going to stay true to we aren't going to eat this stuff. Whenever they say, you've got to bow down and worship me, they say, well, it may look like you're the king, but I know who is the king. I know who the true king is, and I know who wins in this, so I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to stay true to who God made me to be and who our God is. And also, there should be a sense of hope. I, Daniel is trying to give his readers hope of saying, hold on, it's going to be a long time, and you probably won't ever see the victory. But it's coming. It will be there, and have hope. Another thing, I think we should be calmer. I think one of the overarching stories that Daniel comes across with the three friends is they seem perfectly content with the fact they're about to be thrown in the fire. Now, I'm not telling you that when you see things going on in the world, you should necessarily roll over and just be like, eh, it'll be fine. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you should be able to close your eyes and go to bed at night and know that what seems like is winning the day isn't going to win the day. You should be able to have a certain calmness like Daniel whenever he says, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel seems to have this peace that passes understanding because he knows who the true king is. He knows who's really in charge. And so I would encourage you, the Gospels are all about, the New Testament is all about encouraging Christians that live in Philippi, Corinth, Rome, Clifton, to live in the kingdoms that we're living in right now, which our kingdom is the state of Texas, the United States of America, Live in the kingdom that you're living in. Be a good citizen. I'm not telling you to be a bad citizen. Be a good citizen. But know that whoever's in charge of your town and your state and your country is not really actually in charge. And you have to live your citizenship knowing that the one who is in charge is the true king and that he is the one that will be on top at the end of all this. Steve said it in his prayer really good. I, I should have taken that out of your pocket. But he said... May we be people that live in this nation well, but also never forgetting where our true citizenship lies. They say that throughout the New Testament. 
Your citizenship is not of this kingdom. It's of the kingdom that's coming, that has come and is continuing to come. So, I've said this analogy before, and then I'm going to uh, get to the third point. I want you to picture you lived in the Civil War on the Mason-Dixon line, right in between. Let's say your town, literally the line ran through it. Half of the people in that town are trying to decide, well, do we think the North is going to win or do we think the South is going to win? Because based on who I think is going to win is going to determine who I'm going to be friendly with. Because when this is all said and done, if I was friends with the wrong side, I might end up losing everything. But if I was friends with the right side, I may end up having a great place. Okay? You following? This is what's going on in our world today. The world looks like the winning side is the side that isn't God's side. And the world will continue to look like that. And guess what? There's plenty of people who could come and talk to me and say, listen, I've made lots of good money manipulating situations and taking advantage of people, and it's been great for me. So I don't know what your winning looks like, but I'm pretty content with this team. And what we have to believe is that in the midst of that, we have to say, I've got to hold on to the fact that I really think my losing team, and I really hope and trust and know that my losing team, the one that is about self-sacrifice, of first shall be last, of loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, that that team is the one that really does win in the end. And guess what? How you respond to things will show me whether you do think that wins in the end or not. If you hedge your bets and you find yourself being like, well, I'm going to come to church, but I'm going to probably live this life. So that way I'm like, good either way. You know, I got Jesus' grace, but I mean, I'm kind of living and winning in this life. Don't do that. Go all in. Place all your chips in that God wins in the end, even if you will not experience that in your lifetime. And so the final thing is, I went, or, I want you to stop and think before I move on. I shouldn't have said final thing yet. I want you to stop and think. If I really believe and live each day knowing that God wins in the end, how will that change how I experience everything I'm going through? I can't emphasize this enough. If you could live and with every decision, with every stress that you have, everything on your plate, everything that seems like, if you had the mindset of this hurts, I'm not telling you not to feel pain. I'm not telling you not to feel sorrow. I'm telling you, though, that when you're in the midst of pain and struggle, we get to be the people who say, we do not mourn like those who have no hope. We mourn like those who go, this is not going to define the end of this story. Okay? Answer three. I saved this for last because it's the easiest to connect to Jesus. The good news about Daniel is that God delivers his own. The three friends in the fiery furnace, God delivers them. He's with them. He brings them out of the fire. Daniel in the lion's den, God is with them. There's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the lion's den who's there shutting the mouths of the lions. Daniel 3.15 says, But if you do not worship it, this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking to the three friends, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The, the comment is, I'm in charge. Who's going to be able to save you and rescue you? And the answer is, our God who's actually in control is able to deliver. In Daniel 6, it says, after the lion's den episode, Darius says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. 
Finally, in all of Daniel, with all of these things, we see Jesus Christ. We see God as the true king, and we know Jesus Christ is his true king who we see here on earth. The one who walked humbly was not proud. The one who knew his God, and his God was and is always in control. The one who announced the true kingdom that had come in him and who will come, will come fully someday. He announced who the Son of Man is that will be with the Ancient of Days that will atone for wickedness and bring everlasting righteousness. The one who promises, I know my own and my own know me. They hear my voice and I will call them. I will deliver them. I will redeem them. I will rescue them. Many kingdoms are going to reign before the kingdom of God fully arrives, new heavens and new, new earth completely. Those who know their God must, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, refuse to compromise their beliefs, their faith, with the powers of this world. Power, money, status. Whatever the cost, we must not worship other things. God's promises have arrived in Christ, and although we see them in part, someday we will see them fully. God's kingdom has come and will come. The saints will triumph. Even those who have died will be raised from the dead and enjoy His kingdom forever. The offspring of the serpent, the violent and power-hungry rulers of our world, will be crushed. The stone from the mountain will crush them. And this stone is none other than the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. If any of you would like to know more about this one who will deliver you, who is God, who wants to redeem you, who has wants to show you all this, I'd encourage you to, to come and talk to me at the front, or you can talk to me this week. And if you have any other prayer requests about the shadows of this world and finding a peace and a hope and obedience in the midst of the shadows, the elders will be standing at the doors, and I encourage you to go talk with them while we stand and sing this song. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves, onward tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Before I forget, thank you to everyone who helped with fifth quarter. We had about, I would say about 115 kids here in our back parking lot making a ruckus um, and uh, having a good time. So thank you for helping. Our closing reading before we go is from Colossians 1. Starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers. Or